You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. There is blessing that is sitting there waiting. It's got dust on it because we have not pursued fellowship with one another and this blessing that the Lord wants to release to us can only be found in fellowship. Right? There's measures of the Lord's presence that we can only experience in certain places. Right, There are measures of the Lord's presence that only exist in the valley. And when you go into the valley, when you live through a circumstance, a difficult circumstance, you find a different measure of His presence that you've never encountered. And someone that hasn't been in there can't understand, right? We know this. So many of us in here have been in those valleys and give testimony to the presence of the Lord that we found there that others have not experienced for themselves. There is also blessing. Blessing of fellowship, measures of His presence that are only to be found when we engage with the body of Christ as He has asked us to do. And not just asked us, church, but made us for If you are a body member, a member of the body of Christ, then you were made to be unified with the body. You were made to be unified with the body, and the success of the body is tied to the unity of its members. Amen? Are we united? Are we united with one another? Are we united with the heart of God for our community? Are you united with the heart of God of what He says is true about you? This is normally the first place people get tripped up. They don't have any problem believing. If I said, if if I I just started talking to Sarah about who God says she is, she would have a hard time believing that. Not not literally her. I'm just using her as an example. She has an amazing time believing it. Uh, She's wonderful. Uh, But if I speak over someone, they'll sit there and they'll, no. But then I'm like, okay, now speak over me. And they'll speak beautiful and positive things over me. They won't say a negative thing about me. But it's like, why then, when I do this for you, you won't receive it? Randy used to use this illustration in counseling all the time. But if I set your kid in your lap, and and they asked you, who am I? Would you say you're worthless? Would you say you're a waste of time? Would you say you're a mistake? Absolutely not. Nothing even close to that would come out of your mouth towards your child, Right? So why do we believe that that's what the Lord would say over us? He speaks goodness over us. He speaks goodness over us. And there is is unity to be found when we say yes to what the Lord is speaking over you that is for you. What has existed in His heart for you since the foundation of time. We've got to start being unified with that. If I don't believe goodness over myself, how can I believe goodness for you? It starts with me, right? starts with us. I've got to be unified with what he says about me, and then I can be unified with what he says about those around me. I can be unified with the vision that he has for Sundown Texas. I can say yes to it. I can step into it. I can be united with one another. Are we united? How deep does our unity with one another go? Because I don't think there's any one of us in here that would say no. But now, because you can't just say yes to that question. You can't just have a small layer of unity. Because when things get difficult, what happens? That layer dissipates. It's the same with faith. If I don't pursue a relationship with God, will my faith ever increase? No. Because faith is found 
an encounter with the presence of God. Faith increases when I spend time with Jesus because I learn more about him and so my faith grows in what he's capable of, what he says about me, what he'll do for me. I, I see these things. I can believe in these things the more time I spend with him. So our unity is the same. The more time we spend together, the deeper the unity grows. The less time we spend together, the shallower it is. You hear what I'm saying? There's depth that only comes as a result of spent time together. Acts 2, 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first glimpse of the church, and they sought the Lord, and then they sought to be with one another. The first thing the church did was pursue Jesus together and pursue one another. And then fruit came. Not before. Not in the midst. Not in the midst of it. You hear what I'm saying? Anybody catch that? How many of us, how many churches are waiting for the miracles to break out first and then be unified? We wait for signs and wonders. And then we say we'll be united. We'll be together. We'll be on fire for the Lord. We wait and we tie our passion to the miraculous. And I'll be passionate for Jesus when I see the breakout. But the breakout doesn't come if there's no relationship first. Relationship with Jesus and relationship with one another and then fruit, not before. You can't reap the harvest if you never sow the seed. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not sure. Let's go. It's a little bit cooler. All right. I know you're feeling a little sluggish. Let's get up get going. Okay, we got a lot to talk about today. They sought the Lord and they sought one another. And what is the first fruit? What is the fruit of unity with the Father and with the body? As we again see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, the supernatural moving freely in our midst is the fruit. Not healing, not raising the dead, all of it. The supernatural in its entirety moving in our midst is the fruit that comes when we are united with him and with one another. I don't just want healing. I don't just want the blind to see. I don't just want the lame to walk. I want more than that. That's one aspect of the supernatural. That's not all of it. That's one gift of the Spirit. That's not all of it. We want all of it. Amen? We want a release of the supernatural in our midst that He can do all of it that is His nature and all of it that exists within Him. The supernatural moving freely in our midst. And we are pressing toward a day where this is to be normal, church. The supernatural just moving all around us is to be normal. The miraculous to be a normal part of our day. Can you imagine? To live in a city, not, not, it, not for it to be normal in church, but for it to be normal within your entire community. A normal day to see miracles. To where you're not even surprised. In this house, we are not surprised by the miraculous. We've seen it time and time again. But it is time for it to leave this house. For it to overflow out of this place. 
that the supernatural would break out in such a way, that the miraculous would break out in such a way that it would become a part of our daily life. Unity with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and then unity in the body as a result of fellowship. This is game-changing truth. Church, we must spend time together. There are studies. I, uh, there's just, church, there's a lot. We're going to talk a little bit about this, and there's a message coming, um, but I, I'm in the midst of, uh, this is, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just share this a little bit. There, there is an attack on our children right now across the nation, across the world in its entirety. It is attacking a generation. Um, and, you know, we've seen this progress. We've talked about this in here. How identity, how identity started with a lie that you believed about yourself. But now what, what is the lie? It's not just an identity about who you are. It's about a, an, a, the identity is now a lie. There's a lie tied to your identity of your biological makeup now. It's a step further, right? It's not just you believed a lie and so you think you're worthless and you grow up feeling worthless. Now you don't know your physical parts. This lie is telling you those, that's not who you are. And it's like, if, that's like square one, right? That's square run. If you buy anything online, if you sign up for a subscription, what's one of the questions they ask? Male or female? And now we live in a society that can't answer that. That's the attack of the enemy. But now what is he's, he's taken it a step further. He's not stopped. He's progressed because he's been left unchecked. And now what is he, he's not even trying to plant a lie. He's just, he's just taking them. He's just taking them. He's introducing them to things that will kill them so he doesn't even have to waste his time with a lie. There's an attack on our kids, an absolute attack on our kids. There's a spirit that is over this. And I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm praying to see what it is to give me, give me a name that we can call it out and cast it out in our community. But, and I would invite you to do the same prayer and fasting church. If there was ever a time to start praying and fasting again, it is now. We should have never stopped, but we did. Now's the time to begin again. If you do not fast in your daily, in, in, in a part of your life, I don't care how many times you do it, if you do it, once a week, once a month, doesn't matter. Do it. There is blessing and there is profound revelation that will only be found through prayer and fasting. Jesus prayed and fasted. His ministry didn't begin until after fasting. You hear what I'm saying? It's important for us to do. Add that again. That's another sermon for another time. We need to get that going again. But I've been looking at studies and different things coming out uh, regarding our kids. And do you know that statistically... Every odd is in favor of a child when they do one simple thing, and that's eat dinner at home with their family. Statistically, every odd that would be against them otherwise, now the percentages are in favor of success for that kid because they did one thing. And what was that? They had fellowship with people that were for them and not against them, with people that knew their heart knew who they're meant to be, not what the world says they are, but who they're meant to be. You know how I, I grew up this way. It was an annoyance for me. I got things to do, right? I was super busy. I had a flourishing social life. Um, not really. Um, I just wanted to go eat Taco Bell instead of eat a good home-cooked meal. And then I went to college, and all I wanted was a good home-cooked meal, right? Um, but I would, there, were, there were so many nights where I sat at that table 
I didn't say a word. Not because I was in a bad mood. I just didn't have anything to say. But I would listen. And what happened when I would leave that table? I knew what was going on in my sister's life. I knew what challenges they were facing. I could see what, what, what was happening in their heart. I could, I could see what, if my dad had had a good day or a bad day, a heavy day or a light day. Same with my mom. I could see these things. I could, I could understand these things just by sitting in the presence of that fellowship happening around me. And I can, I'm, I'm sitting here right now to tell you and to testify that not a one of my siblings got into drugs, uh, you know, had, had got into these, these bad things statistically. I mean, they're all living vibrant and flourishing lives. It's not because of anything that we specifically done because we're any better than anybody else. I believe it comes down to this one fact that we had something that was grounding and stable every day. And it changed my life. I didn't even know it was changing my life, but it changed my life. We can see the difference now. You can know, you can go through your mind right now, the kids in our community, and you can tell the ones that sit down with their families at the end of the day and the ones that don't. Statistically, every odd is against a child if they just do that one thing different. Can you see now the importance of fellowship? It is everything in this season. The Lord is bringing us back to the foundations of what existed in the garden. Fellowship. He walked amongst us in the garden. He's restored that. Jesus has restored that. But what have we done? We've left it on the doorstep, never to pick it up. We've become too busy for one another. And we've become too busy for, for our families. We don't sit down. We don't. We don't spend time with one another in church. I'm asking, I'm, I'm wondering if we can be the difference. Because I'm telling you right now, if we can fellowship as a church, where does it say in Acts 2, 42 through 47, they went knocking and putting flyers about a church service on people's doorsteps? Where was this great marketing campaign that existed? When did they do all these activities to try to bring people in, to get church numbers up? He didn't do any of this extra stuff. All this extra stuff that we do is a result of not doing what the Lord has asked us to do. The simple things. Pursue me and one another. I'll take care of the rest. It says in 47, they had favor with all in their community. That sounds pretty good to me, right? I want to have favor in this city. I want, when people come to difficult circumstances, I don't want them to look within themselves, I want them to look for what they find here. The presence of God. I want them to, there are too many people that exist in this world right now that when they experience a challenge, when they get knocked back, they fall flat to the floor because there is no one standing behind them to help them back up. That is the true definition of loneliness. And what is the sole purpose of the enemy is to sever the body. And loneliness is not feeling alone. Not feeling uh, like you don't have anybody there. Loneliness is the feeling of no one being for you. It's not the not having someone. It's the knowing that no one has you. 
That's true loneliness. The turning around and looking in your corner and finding an empty space. And we have people that exist in that. And it's an epidemic, church. We, there are too many of us in this room that walk with Jesus that are experiencing that. And that has to end. That ends because we make the choice to spend time with Jesus and one another. You have to make the choice. Jesus will not do it for you. I will not do it for you. I can't do it for you. We talked about this Wednesday, but how many people measure their progress in their relationship with the Lord based on their pastor? Do not allow me to live your relationship with Jesus for you. Because it will not happen. I've got my own relationship to worry about. And that's my responsibility. I can't make you grow. I can't make you run to Jesus. It's our choices. I can only deliver truth and hope that you do with it what the Lord intends. Right? That's it. That's my only responsibility is to be obedient to him. That's it. That's where it ends. So your relationship has to be your relationship. And when your relationship is your relationship, you will find yourself flourishing. You will find yourself stepping into fellowship with Jesus and with those around you. It's what we need to do. We need to be the difference. To be vibrant characters in each other's stories again, church. I was thinking about this last night. Um, I don't know what it is, but it, uh, around 8.30, my mind starts going to deep places. And I ask Sarah questions all the time, and she's just like, like her, normally people's minds are winding down, right? And so she's like having to, like, what? This is too deep. It's 10 o'clock, Parker, go to sleep. Like, stop asking me these questions. But I'll sit there, and I was, I was thinking about this. Just, I just asked myself this question. How many people do I need? The people in my life, who do I need? I was presented this question first by a pastor, uh, and he was talking about our staff. said, of, of today, if you lost this person, it would gut you like where you'd almost throw up and you just didn't know how you would be able to go on without being able to do ministry with this person. And I had a full list. It wasn't one person, it was a full list. And then the Lord, okay, now add that to your life. How many people do you, what people in your life do you need? And all of a sudden I realized I need a lot. Like there are people in my story that if I was without them, my story would not be as vibrant and colorful. But what does the world tell you? You don't need anyone. I need you, church. Every one of you. I need you. And you need me not as a pastor, as your friend, as your brother. That's what you need. You don't need another pastor. You need a brother. You need a sister. We need each other, church. We need each other. And we get the opportunity to be vibrant characters in each other's stories again. I get so excited about this. I, we, uh, Zach and uh, Steve and I were gone. We were at a concert in Houston. and um, So I missed the Friday night football game. Um, sorry, Caleb. Sorry, buddy. That's Mr. Sundown right there. I don't know if you know. Just a stud of studs. All right? Yeah, he's, he's, you know, Caleb Clausen, 2024 president. Right? That's it. Uh, but... Uh, I get pictures of Eden so that my heart just aches worse, right? She's sending me pictures of them at the game, and she's, she's in Melissa's lap, just cuddled with her. And then I get a video, and she's with Dammy, uh, Dammy, Sammy and Debbie, 
Woo! All right, here we go. Now we're awake. Let's do it. Uh, but she's in the she's in the stand. They're just she's just dancing. She's just I don't I can't hear any music. I can it's just noise on the phone. But I see her dancing and she's clapping, and I just I became overwhelmed in that moment at how many people are my kids' people, right? That they just this their family to them. They don't, they don't see a difference between them and my siblings or their grandparents. They, these are my people, every one of them. And it's so beautiful when we choose to be a part of each other's stories because generations are blessed. Not just you, but generations after you will be blessed by the fellowship that you choose. You hear what I'm saying this morning? Church, I have a unique word uh, this morning, it's not unique, it's just, uh, I didn't really understand it. It took some unpacking for me. I, I had to sit there with the Lord and, and see what he meant by this. But when I asked him for the word this morning, when I asked the Lord what he had for us today, this is what he said. He said, we need to dig our heels in. Dig your heels in, is what he said. And so immediately I'm thinking there's a fight coming. But church, uh, we are in the fight. To dig our heels in means to refuse to give in. And so when I saw that, I asked the Lord, okay, what are we needing to refuse to give in to? He said one word, circumstances. Circumstances. What does the Bible say about circumstances? If you want to look all these verses up, look them up. Uh, There's tons of references to circumstances and it's always our response to circumstances. The Lord only ever addresses circumstances from the point of our response to them. That's significant, okay? He says that in, circ- in all circumstances we're to give thanks. In all circumstances we're to rejoice always. In all circumstances we're to give them over to the Lord, hand them to Him, all our cares, all our worries, our, all our anxieties around these things, give, him, give them to Him. And in thankfulness, step into peace. Why is that? Why would the Lord over and over and over again speak about how we are to handle circumstances, the good ones and the bad ones? Over and over, he repeats himself. He says to give thanks, to rejoice always, over and over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And to give them to him, this is a big thing. Cast all your anxieties all your cares upon the Lord through prayer and supplication and thankfulness make your requests known to God. And a peace that surpasses understanding will come to you. It will be for you. You'll step into it. And that's not even the answer to the prayer, is it? That's not it. We need to hear this. Just hear this for a second. When he says, in thankfulness, make your request known to the Lord. That's just the key so that we can step into peace while he answers the prayer. The peace isn't the answer. Peace is for you every day, every moment. It's just, just a way for you to step into it to make sure you're grounded in it while the Lord works it out for you. Peace is not the end answer. Peace is just what we get to do in the waiting, what we get to experience in the waiting. But how many of us exist in the waiting in turmoil and stress and strife and worry? Right? All of us do this. 
All of us do this. The Lord just wants us to step into peace while he works things out. So many times he speaks about these things in regards to circumstances. And why is this repeated? Because circumstances is how the enemy derails you and separates you from from all of us. He uses, that is his only foot in the door. It's through circumstances. And that is oftentimes how we let him in. It's through circumstances. Through difficult circumstances or easy circumstances. Good circumstances when things work out, right? What do we start getting in our head when things start going our way? I don't need the Lord. Everything's working out. And then everything goes bad, and what do I need? I need Jesus. And it's oftentimes, Lord, where are you? Like it's, like the Lord has to abandon you for bad things to happen. Jesus walked with him the whole time, and he died on a cross, church. Stephen walked with him as he was stoned to death. Bad things happen in life, period. But the Lord is with you in all of it. The highs and the lows. He doesn't leave you, and that is not a result of... His absence is is not what brings about difficult things. That's just life. But the enemy distracts. He comes in with, with difficult circumstances and with positive things, just any circumstance, and he comes in and he screams lies of how the Lord can't help you, of how you did this by yourself. Look at how hard you worked. Look at what you've achieved. And then all of a sudden, you are sitting on the throne of your life again. How the Lord didn't get you here. How the Lord can't help you in this. Or that you don't have time to wait on Him. Because you need a solution now. You won't have time to wait on the Lord. Or it's your fault. So you figure it out. Men have this all the time. We make mistakes. And in our society, it's our job to make things right. And so what do we do? We go internal and we try to fix it. And what oftentimes happens is we make it worse. Or we have to sacrifice something precious, like time with your family, to fix it. Instead of just allowing the grace of God to handle it for you. And handle it with you. That doesn't mean you just get to wipe your hands clean of a mess that you made. But the Lord will guide you through the cleanup. Amen? Because he's a good God. This is what he does. But church, the enemy has come. We know this. We've talked about this. He, com- he comes to steal, kill, and destroy through fear, doubt, and division. And our circumstances is what he attaches to in order to establish these things in your life. So what happens is that circumstances come, we cry out, and then almost immediately we turn back to what is comfortable and familiar. We don't even give the Lord a moment to answer the thing we've cried out for. Sarah and I have done this several times in our, in our life together. We've come to a situation, unfortunate, we didn't do anything wrong, it just, it's life. It's life. And we needed provision, we needed the Lord to take care of us. And so what we did was we prayed for the Lord to take care of us, and then what did I immediately start doing? I started trying to solve the problem by myself. I pray to God, and then 10 seconds later, I figure out a way to do the problem myself. And the solution that I brought, guess what it was? Not a solution. It's just a deeper hole. 
That's all it was. But what did we then do? I then attribute that to the Lord. That's the Lord's provision. Credit card debt is not the Lord's provision. Right? (laughs) Accepting something less than is not the Lord's provision. It's not the Lord's provision. The Lord exists in abundance. The Lord exists in prosperity. He is for you, not against you. He's not going to downgrade you. You hear what I'm saying? You are made for an ever-increasing glory, not a repeating glory, not a single layer of glory. And there's, it's not like a video game where if you don't defeat the big boss, you get knocked down a couple levels. It's not what it is. You are always made for an ever-increasing glory. No matter what life throws at you, no matter what mistakes you made, you are made for an ever-increasing glory. So in the midst of difficulty, what does the Lord have to do? He has to show up in glory. And he has to show up in glory in a way that you've not yet seen. A new degree of glory. How else am I to elevate if the Lord doesn't show me anything new? But we don't wait. We turn inward. We look at ourselves. We we turn back to what was comfortable. To that which is not of Him, but of this world. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Church, we've got to stop picking up dead things. We are a new creation. We are a new creation. You were once dead, but now you are alive in who? Christ. You are now alive in Christ. You are a new creation. You were buried with him through baptism and risen with him in newness of life. So that means old self stayed in the grave when new self arose. But we keep going back and digging up dead things. Tell me the last time a dead thing brought life. If you go get a a rotting, go, go get some rotting, nasty, dead, just disgusting animal in the wild. Go throw that on the skillet, see what happens. You're going to be a dead thing too. Or you're going to wish you were a dead thing. Okay, dead things produce dead things. If your dead self is laid in the grave, it's laying there for a reason. Because it can only produce that which it is. Death. But you are a new creation in life. And you are meant to produce what? Life. Because that is who you are and that is what you have been brought into. We are new. We have Him. And it is is time for us to change what is comfortable to us. Church, Adam... 
I loved reflecting on this this weekend. Adam was comfortable with God's presence walking with him. Comfortable with him in the garden. When they, when they ate of the fruit of, uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they hid from the Lord, what was he doing? He was in their midst looking for them. Walking with, he was, he was seeking to walk with them in the garden. Abraham was comfortable with God speaking to him. Making promises to him. He was comfortable with this. Besides the first time, he was never shocked when the Lord showed up. He was shocked at how many times the Lord got him out of a mess that he made. But he was never shocked at the Lord's presence. The Lord was speaking to him. He was comfortable with the Lord. Moses was comfortable being a vessel for signs and wonders. He literally went to Egypt with signs and wonders in the back. The Lord said, I'm going to do this, 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 I'm going to do this. And he does all of it. And then even in the midst of difficulty, what does he do? Provides a way, parts the sea. Provides a path. He was a vessel and he was comfortable with the miraculous manifestation of Jesus. While they walked through the desert for 40 years, what was covering them by day? A cloud. It was the presence of God. And what was lighting their path at night? A pillar of fire. This is how people lived for 40 years. Do you not think they were comfortable with the manifestation of the presence of God? Their food came from the sky. They were comfortable. They saw water come out of a rock. They've seen the Lord do profound and miraculous things. They saw this time and time again. They saw their leader lift his hands up and then have victory on the battlefield as he praised God. And the second he lowered them and ceased to praise, they ceased to win. They were comfortable with the manifestation of God, with signs and wonders. And Jesus was comfortable with all of it. Every single one of these things. He was comfortable with his presence in his midst. He was comfortable with his voice. He was comfortable with signs and wonders. But he chose to take all that was uncomfortable for him, sin, separation from the Father, death. He took all of those things so that we would not ever have to live in those things. But these seem to be the things we keep wanting to dig up. The things Jesus put in the grave that we would never have to wear them. Why is that, church? Tell me. Why that is. Why do we do this to ourselves over and over again? Return to what is comfortable, but that we know we do this. We will turn to ourselves knowing what the result's going to be, and we'll still do it. We'll still do it. Knowing that it's not going to work out. Or I'm just going to make it worse. But we still do this. Jesus took these things on that we wouldn't have to wear, wear them, that they wouldn't ever have to leave that grave where he was putting them. And that we could be comfortable living with his presence, his voice, and signs and wonders. That this would be our comfort. That, and again, can you just go with me there for a second in your mind to live in a place where I'm comfortable, to live in a city where all the people within it are comfortable with the voice of God with the manifestation of His presence, and with signs and wonders. That that is our comfort zone. We, we, this is a big thing in society, comfort zone and safe places, safe spaces, all that stuff. How many of them have turned out to be safe? There are not any. College campuses, you've got to have a safe place, but one person comes with an opposing view, it's no longer, the whole place is no longer safe. 
That's what they're saying. It's like, okay, well, that's because you're living and you're tying yourself to false safety. The only safe place is in the midst of God's presence where you were made to be. Who can stand against God's elect? When I say yes, that I'm God's elect and I put myself in that place, I am a son and co-heir with Christ, royalty in the kingdom of heaven, that place I'm safe because heaven stands behind me. And I don't know if you know this, but the one who made this world lives there and lives here. That is where I'm safe. No other place is safe other than in the presence of God. And no other place is meant to be comfortable to us than the presence of God. John the Baptist is an amazing example of this. He wore sackcloth, ate locusts and honey, and lived in the wild. Never does it say that he did this to be uncomfortable, to, be, to punish himself. He just sought Jesus. And that's where he led him. The presence of God, that's where he led him. Never says he was uncomfortable. Does that sound uncomfortable to you and I? Sure, yeah. I like my cotton shirts. And I don't eat bugs. And I'm good with that. I do like honey though. But I'm not going to eat any bugs. But all that to say that the things that we have built our lives around are comforts of this world, not comforts of heaven. And we have pursued and we have sacrificed time with one another, time with our family, purpose, destiny, identity. We've sacrificed all those things in the pursuit of comforts that stay here. When we go, I love, I love the, the kind of last uh, conversation that Steve Jobs had, creator of Apple, wealthy, wealthy man, died in his 50s of cancer. And you know what he talks about? You know what he talks about regretting? Pursuing all that he was realizing is going to stay here when he goes. That's what he regretted. One of the wealthiest men in the world. And he regretted it. Because he was pursuing that which could not follow him. And the things that mattered, the things that were important, have to, have to be neglected to store up treasures of this earth. But in the kingdom of heaven, when you pursue the Lord, when you pursue the things you're made for, like fellowship, and when you pursue the things that are truly important in this world, like time together as a family, small family, and then big family, know where it stores treasures up for you? Where you're going. That's where there's treasures waiting for you. When you step into the things that you're meant for. And they're easy things to step into. Time together. This is to be comfortable to us, the presence of God and obedience to Him. But back to the word again, to dig our heels in. Church, we have gained ground. There is no denying this, that the Lord is moving and we have gained ground. Um, we, we've, we've, we've bapt- I've, I've not seen it since I've been here, but we've baptized two five-year-olds. They're in the same class at school and, and Melissa got to sub for them on Monday and she's in there And she hears Ian and Kai talking about baptism, explaining to these other five-year-olds what it is, and that if they just want a relationship with Jesus, they can be baptized too. And every one of them's like, this sounds awesome. (laughs) And they're talking about Jesus, and they're talking about him, and they are pumped. They're like, Jesus is the coolest. And they believe him. Five-year-olds are sharing the gospel. Praise God. 
we had this opportunity, and I also want to thank you. One, we have tried to do things in the past that ha- just haven't worked out. Uh, one, we, we send out this sign-up sheet for, for food, for see you at the poll. It's, it's filled, it's committed to before it gets to the, to the back of the church. And we, have, we get to feed and love and minister to 88 kids. We get to love on them, be around them, put them in this place where they're safe because the presence of God is here. We get to do this. This is ground made. And then we get these kids that hear about uh, uh, bring your Bible to school day. I didn't even know it was a thing. And we find out about this. So we get a sign-up sheet to buy Bibles. Fills up immediately. So we get to buy all these Bibles. And then we've got little kids on Wednesday night, because it was Thursday that they brought this. We got little kids asking Melissa on Wednesday night, I want to share the gospel on Thursday. I want to bring a Bible. I want to hand it to my friends. And they did this. My, my kids did this. And I was, I was already on the road, but they loved it. And they didn't come back with a Bible. Because all of them were going to different places. All of them were going to homes. Kids were given this stuff. Church, we are making ground. We are taking background. The Lord is doing a new thing. He is bringing families into this community that are for sundown, not against it, that love this place and love its people. There is favor in this city, and the Lord is leading people again to this place. We have this momentum. The Lord is doing something. There is no denying that He is doing something new, that He is doing something in our midst. And all the enemy is doing is screaming, trying to distract and discourage. And He's screaming at our kids. Throughout history, what would bring an army to its knees if their enemy got to their kids and their women? Women and children. And what has he thought will stop us? I'm going to attack your kids. He does not know what he has awakened. That, that should not make us bend down and surrender because the second we do that, he's got the kids. But if we stay standing and we continue marching, can he oppose us? Who can stand again against God's elect? Church, who can stand against God's elect? No one. That includes him. The only way he gets to do and continue what he's doing in our kids is if we stop moving. If we stop marching into the camp. Shorty Hensley said this uh, uh, a while back. I love this. We, we have this thought of a battle with the enemy that we've got to fight. And we, when you think of a battle, what ends up naturally happening is you view the opposing force as equal. And so he changed it. He's like, we're not going to battle. We're not going to fight for territory. We're just going to occupy. When you occupy something, how can you go and just occupy something when it's been abandoned? When, it's, when they've retreated out of it? We're not going to fight the enemy. We're going to just take what is his right now. And he can't do a thing about it. You will not unsheath your sword. You will just go take it out of his hands. This is the power that is in the body of Christ if it's united with one another and with the heart of God. But the Lord is doing a new thing, church. He is profoundly moving in our midst. We have momentum and the enemy is screaming again, only trying to distract and discourage. He's using these circumstances. He's using these, inc- these uh, incidents that we've, we've got going on in our community. 
He's using all these things to try to pile it up so that you feel overwhelmed and like there's no hope and like we need to back off. We need to try to do something different and try to get us worrying about activity and trying to do a bunch of different stuff. That's what the church does, unfortunately. And it's not, it's not from a bad place, but we just we do this. We want to fix the problem, right? Who in here wants freedom for our kids? Every one of us. And how many of you are willing to do whatever it takes to free him? Every one of us. But we turn inward. We start trying to figure it out. How can I fix them? And we fail every time. A new event is not going to help. A revival tent or some special youth speaker from a mega church or anything. It's not going to work. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to make a lick of difference. A lick of difference. Because that's not where the solution is found. It's not found in us. It's found in Him. Because we're made for Him. We're not made. I'm not made for me. I'm made for Him. And I'm made for you. But I'm not made for myself. You hear what I'm saying? So the solution is not to be found within myself. It's found in His heart and His heart alone. So I'm asking you, instead of taking this up, this this distraction, this discouragement, this trying to problem solve, this returning to what, was, what is dead and meant to be stayed, uh, is meant to stay in the grave. I'm asking if instead we can take up what the Lord has called us into. If you want to know how to dig your heels in deeper, step further into obedience. That's it. That's the solution. You want to dig your heels into where you are an unmovable force and dig with heels dug in? unwavering, steady, say yes to obedience. Step further into obedience. Say yes to Jesus and all that He has for you. All the things that you know about and all the things that are still yet to come that have not yet to be revealed. Say yes to these things. To lay down our concerns, to lay down our worry, to lay down our crowns at the feet of Jesus. I've been, I, again, I told you at the beginning of service, I've been praying a lot for our kids and just trying to understand what is really going on. Um, this just lack of concern that they have for their own well-being. And, uh, there's, it's just interesting. There's something complex about it. There's, some, there's a spiritual aspect to it. I just haven't quite uh, been able to find out yet. And I was sitting in my office this, this week again just praying, okay, Lord, what, what are we to do in this moment? Action is required. We're not human doings, we're human beings. And so I just want to be here, but give me an order. Give me a marching order. What can we do in response? Not reaction, but in response, right? Reaction just happens in the moment. We just do it. And that's what we do as a church. We just throw together an event really fast. But response has thought, patience, right? It's clear, it's precise. So what is our response to be? In this season, Lord, what is our response to be in this moment to dig our heels deeper? How can we dig our heels deeper that we would be this immovable force? How can we do this? What would you have us do? And this is what he said. Lay your crowns at the feet of Jesus. I'm like, okay, what crowns? It's like any place in your life where you have said no to me is a crown that you wear on your head. If, I, if I'm for him on Sundays, but I'm not for him on Mondays, then Monday I wear the crown. 
If I want Jesus in my life, but I don't speak about Him to my kids, I don't, I don't give them an invitation into their stories and into their lives, I don't expose it to them, then I'm wearing a crown over my kids' story. If I'm willing to be obedient to an extent, right? I'll be obedient, Lord, as long as it's within uh, 8 to 5 on Saturdays. Every other week, please. I've got things to do. But, but it's silly, but we do this. Lord, I'm just too busy for that to be obedient there. All right, we talked about this last week. If you're too, bu- too busy for obedience, you're too busy, period. Take a step back. Kill some things off. You don't need them in your story. How do we do this? Laying our crowns. Any of those places where we've said no to him is a crown that you wear upon your head. So I'm asking us, church, this morning, if even in it, if you can just take this posture of willingness, because I'm confident, the Lord showed me some things about my life, some crowns that I was wearing. I had, I'm, I'm laying those down with you this morning. But I'm confident there's, there's an aspect of my story that I, am not paying, I, I have not been made aware of where I wear the crown. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a part of it. I'm sure there's an area within it, within my story where I wear the crown and Jesus does not. And I am trusting that in this moment that as I lay my crowns down, he will reveal to me what those areas are in the days ahead that I can lay them down. But he has said in response uh, to everything going on in our community with our kids and the attacks that we see and everything that's ramping up and how, how do we continue this momentum, momentum? He said to dig your heels in. Okay, Lord, what does that look like right now? Step further into obedience. Okay, what would you have us do right now in obedience? Lay your crowns down at the feet of my son. Lay your crowns down at the feet of Jesus. And this is a kingdom paradigm, church, because where on earth does fixing a problem start with surrender? It doesn't. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to get more invested into the problem, right? You got to be more a part of it. And what has the Lord said to do? Don't do any of that. Surrender to me. And in that, in that choice to surrender and lay your crowns down at my feet, I'll take care of it. Just like where in Acts does it say, if you do this, this, and this, and this, that's how you get signs and wonders. It doesn't say that. It says if you pursue Jesus and you pursue fellowship with one another, you'll see signs and wonders. It's the natural byproduct of doing those two things. And the Lord has said the natural byproduct of laying our crowns down at his feet will be freedom for a generation that doesn't yet know him. How easy is that? Is that, is that difficult? Are we going to have a hard time with that? I thought about going to... Oh, you paused. Are you going to have a hard time with that? I'm telling you how, to, how, how we can help our kids. The Lord has said, just lay your crowns down. This doesn't benefit me or this church. This is what the Lord is saying will change the kids in this community. It's the starting point. I thought about going to Burger King and getting you guys a bunch of Happy Meal crowns. <laughs> Physically lay them down. But I didn't do that. But I am asking, we're going to sing this song, We Fall Down, this morning. And I would ask, 
that you search within your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the areas in your life where you have said no to Him. Because that is a place where the crown rests on your head and not His. And I would ask you to lay it down this morning. Our kids are, are, are dying, church. Not just in sundown. As a whole. As a nation. They are profoundly overwhelmed. And they are profoundly alone. Who will be in their corner? I pray to God that after this morning they will see us every time they turn around. That they will experience the freedom of Jesus. Can you imagine a kid that doesn't, doesn't know that they can turn to Jesus in time of difficulty? That does not know that there is a creator in this world that sent his son for them long before they made a mistake. Loves them and has pursued them all the days of their lives and will pursue them to the ends of the earth. This is our Jesus. And all He's asked of us is to lay our crowns down. And then that's His doorway. How? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. But I'm confident you will know in the days ahead. You surrender that crown this morning, you'll know tomorrow. Because He will call you into something new. And you can guarantee that when He calls you after this moment, He is calling you into something that is directly tied to the freedom of a generation. Can we be those people this morning? Can we be this, this church that is for this community, for the people that are here now, and for the people that will come after us? And can we step into this moment of surrender? Not just in this moment, but in all the moments after it, step into this place of surrender so that when the Lord calls us into obedience, we say yes and amen because He's saying right now, your yes will bring freedom to them. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.